get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome, welcome everybody. TSN Hockey Analytics Season 5, Episode 6 here on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. You can follow us on Twitter at AndyMC81, the show at TSN Analytics. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app. You can stream us there. Of course, we'll post the links on Twitter as well as uh, Instagram at AndyMC Sports. So lots of ways to get covered. And before we start the show, I want to give a quick shout out. Wedding day for my little cousin Casey McNamara marrying a great guy, Dave. Can't wait to celebrate with the two of you guys later on today. Love you, Case. Going to be a fun day. So there. Uh, let's get to Travis Yost from TSN.ca. We'll also have Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey, Jamie Thomas, Jets TV, and James Harding from NHL.com with some fantasy tips. But Travis, how's it going, buddy? The only question I have is, is there an open bar at this wedding? Uh, I, might, <laughs> I might make an uh, unscheduled appearance. <laughs> we'll have a celebrity. Listen, Dave's a big fan of TSN 1050 and Hockey Analytics. Maybe I could bring you as a celeb guest. There is an open I bar. You said he was not a fan. Right? No, no. He he is a a big fan of of uh, hockey analytics. I don't know about you specifically. Maybe the food <laughs> takes rubbing the wrong way, but I'm sure he is. Uh, so yeah, you know, I'll I'll text you with the address if you're not jet flying around uh, New York or or Hawaii. <laughs> what a guy! All right, okay, try. <laughs> Let's get to it. Uh, this week on TSN.ca, you had a great piece detailing the resurgence in the play of Thomas Tatar he's ex- he's, that he's experienced since being traded from the Golden Knights to the Montreal Canadiens. What's allowed Tatar to find success with the Habs? And looking at the team as a whole, Tatar isn't even Montreal's leading scorer. And so is the hockey world as a whole guilty of underestimating the Habs prior to this season? Oh, two really good questions here. I, on the Tatar piece, um, you know, I, I thought this was a fascinating trade in the summer because, you know, Vegas misfired when they acquired Tatar. They gave up a first, second, third round pick, and he fit like a, a square peg in a round hole with that team. I think he ended up being healthy scratch about half of the playoffs. He had completely fallen out of favor with that team, and you know that uh, their lineup was pretty deep, so it's it's more reasonably expected that that was going to be the case. But, you know, Tatar goes through in what looked like a kind of a salary pass-through in the Max Pacioretty trade, kind of make salaries work for both sides of the trade. And, you know, if I'm Vegas, I'm sitting here and watching this and being like, this is the guy we thought we were acquiring eight months ago. Uh, Thomas Tatar, if you look at how he started his first 15 or so games of the season, he's nearly a point-per-game player. Uh, he's getting, you know, first-line minutes playing with Brendan Gallagher, who I don't think there's a player in the league who could complement his skill set better than, than Gallagher, Gallagher could, so that's certainly helped. But if you if you look at um, Tatar's performance as an individual, if you look at Tatar's performance um, when he's on the ice and how it impacts Montreal, or if you look at Tatar's impact to Montreal in a relative sense when he's on the ice versus off the ice, he consistently is grading out as a first-line player across the board. And some of these numbers are ridiculous. Like, you know, and one of the things that I noted in the piece was he has outshot 97% of forwards in the entire league on a rate basis. Wow. 97%. And you think, oh, wow, he's, you know, he's generating a lot of volume. That's good. But the thing about that is all of the scoring, whether it's him individually or his teammates, also sit in the 90th, 95th percentile as well. So Montreal, kind of out of nowhere, has developed a really, really effective first line. And I think more to your point about did we underrate Montreal, I I don't know how good Montreal is yet, 
but I, I think you, I think people got to reach consensus pretty quickly that they're not nearly as bad as we initially thought. And I, I credit a lot of that to uh, a developed first line that I, I got to be honest, I don't know that Mark Bergevin thought this first line would gel in the way that it has. Um, but now that they have it, uh, it is it is a freaking weapon uh, that that not a ta- not every team in the league has. So again, if you look at Montreal's situation, they've got a first line assuming Tatar and Gallagher keep up their play. They've got you know an, an interesting blue line in the sense that they at least have depth. They don't have that elite you know first pairing that you would expect from a playoff caliber team, but they do have depth, and they obviously have a goaltender now. Carey Price has had kind of an up and down season already. He's right. had a few pretty terrible games of late, but. You know, you, you can kind of see the framework of a playoff team, even if it's not a very good one. You've got a quality first line, you've got defensive depth, and you've got a goaltender. Generally speaking, that's going to be enough to win some games. I, I just think the question becomes, how many games will it matter at the end of 82, and is it enough to get into that fourth spot, say, in their, in their respective divisions? And as of Saturday, third place in the Atlantic at 8-5-3. and three. In conversation with Travis Yost of TSN.ca on Twitter at Travis, yo, so Travis, I don't think there's any uh, analytical uh, takes or statistics on this story, but there's too many layers to not talk about it with you. The, the Senators Uber situation, Ubergate maybe we call it, I don't know. But what are your thoughts on the video being released, the fallout in the last couple of days, and where do the Sens go from here? They're just a disaster. Uh, yeah, that, that's one way of saying <laughs> it. Um, the... You know, I will put some numbers behind this, though. I will, I will right. put numbers spent on this story. So, one, you know, one of the common criticisms, if you heard, if you watched the video, was that the players, and there were seven of them, six or seven of them in that van, were extremely frustrated with the way the penalty kill was going. They argued that, you know, teams were getting way, through way too easy through the neutral. It seemed like teams were scoring on them on clockwork. And the math bears that out. Ottawa's got arguably the worst penalty kill in the league. I think they're only killing two of every three penalty kills season to date and you think oh yeah it's a reasonably small sample well not really i mean we're getting close to about 20 percent of the season having elapsed and they're killing i think just under 70 percent of penalties um through thursday's game that that is an abomination <laughs> and you know i i think there is a fascinating debate about how much that is tactics versus personnel versus randomness versus just poor goaltending um in certain spots especially from their backup goaltenders now in the ahl um, but at the end of the day, that penalty kill is really hurting what what a team that I, I don't necessarily think is good. I, I certainly don't think they're good. Uh, but at least they have interesting wrinkles, right? Like they've got a team that's probably, that, to me, looks a little better than your average team forechecking. They've got speed on the wings. Thomas Shabbat is having an unbelievable year on the back end. Like there are reasons to be excited. But, you know, a, a, something, a unit as bad as their penalty kill is bad. Combined with the fact that they are just such a disaster defensively, I, I looked at this in the middle of the week. They are on pace to give up more shots than the 1993-1994 L.A. Kings, who gave up, I want to say, 3,200 shots over 82 games. You think that's, that's a random reference to that Kings team from 20-some-odd years ago. Well, that's, that's the high-water mark. That is, that is what they are chasing in terms of futility. Um, that team bled shots more than any other team in the league, at least over that 20 five-year interval and Ottawa right now is on pace to break that so you know there's there's fun things there um it's 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 a reasonably exciting team to watch they play a lot of high scoring games but they are just so bad defensively and so bad on the penalty kill that you can kind of understand why the frustration has boiled over with the players yeah well you gotta play for something Travis I guess right why not history (laughs) 
<laughs> Good Lord. Let's flip to the Western Conference here, Travis. This week, the Chicago Blackhawks fired head coach Joel Quenville. Blackhawks are the only team in the Central Division with a negative goal differential. And outside of all the names that we know, Kane, Taves, Keith, there isn't too much to that roster. Where does Chicago go from here? Uh, they need to rebuild. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, we were, I think we even talked about Chicago three, two or three weeks ago where they had gotten off to a, I guess, a, by a Chicago standpoint, a relatively hot start. And they really hadn't put all that many points in the bank relative to the rest of the division. And it only took about two or three weeks for them to slide towards the bottom of that, of that division. And you kind of look around, and there are four or five teams that are awesome today and will be awesome tomorrow. And Chicago is obviously not very good right now. But you don't you don't see any kind of framework or bridge for how they get good as early as next year. And you know, I, you you look at the salary makeup of this team. It is extremely top heavy. It is extremely bloated on salaries for players who were unbelievable five years ago, six years ago, you know, seven years ago, but are clearly not the same players that they were. And they they pay. Look, Chicago had an unbelievable run, maybe the team of the decade. Uh, but the Blackhawks paid a Stanley Cup tax on a lot of these players. Some of them understandable, some of them less so. Uh, they ultimately what they have to do is they've got to start clearing salary. I mean that that's that's the reality of it. That's where this discussion is going. Um, I will say this though about Joe Quenneville. I was surprised that he made it as long as he did. How, for how many years, Andy? And you, you're going to have to sanity check me on this, but it feels like it's been at least two or three years that we've been hearing about internal strife between Quenneville. Scotty Bowman and the rest of the front office. Yeah. I, I, even when they were winning, I don't ever think that they were completely aligned. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know how much we apportion the blame to Quenneville for Chicago's poor start. Uh, and and I, that, that's kind of the tricky, tricky card that we have to analyze here, right? Because the front office is the next to go, right? It, oh, yeah. If, if this year ends as a disaster, and I, I can't see any way how they finish better than – sixth or seventh in the division, does the front office get purged in the offseason? And I, I think the answer is yes. So I think this is kind of the last-ditch effort from the, their current regime. Fire the coach, see if a new coach, see if a new coach can spark uh, something behind the bench. If not, you've got to look at what, what is the core failing of this roster. And the reality is they've mismanaged their salary cap in such a bad way, and they've obviously burned off futures chasing Stanley Cups, which – I think was reasonable, but they were going to pay the piper at some point. Uh, the piper's you here. You have to imagine more heads will roll. It's it's it doesn't seem likely that just Quenneville will be the person to answer for this. Yeah, I'm with you at the end of the year. Uh, last one for you here, Travis. In Toronto, the conversation prior to the season has revolved around the Leafs being one of the top teams in the Atlantic, which they've proven to be. But the Lightning, boy, they're they're, they're reminding us, uh, hey guys, uh, don't forget about us. Eight two and zero in their last and twelve three and one to start the year. Can Toronto is Toronto good enough to keep up with Tampa Bay? Yeah, but the, I think I think the really the quite, only question that really matters is can they beat Tampa Bay? In yeah, seven game yeah. Series? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really matter who finishes one, who finishes two. I uh, outside of maybe having that additional home game in a playoff match, but you know, at the end of the day, no, everyone recognizes that Toronto is a very good team, and everyone recognizes that Tampa Bay is a very good team. How do they match up head to head, and what does it look like defensively? And until proven otherwise. I think Tampa Bay has to be given the slight edge over Toronto because, you know, you talk about this Tampa Bay run. They're 8-2 in their last 10. It seems like they're just, just blitzing teams left and right, and everything's going well. And then you look about it, and you realize they've done all of that without Victor Hedman, who I just saw is returning back to the lineup today. I mean, they, they were doing this without a Norris Trophy winner in their lineup. 
that that is, that that's is scary. Or issue with you look around the league, and and this is the other thing that kill the guy has to kill you if you're a Leafs fan. The Leafs match up really well with 95 percent of the teams in the league. Right, they're too fast, they're too talented, they have too much attacking skill, and they throw even very good teams for a loop. There's probably only two, maybe three teams in the league that can really skate with Toronto and aren't really phased by what they can do. And, and at the top of the list is Tampa Bay. I mean, I guess you could probably throw Nashville in there, but that's of lesser concern. Uh, the, the Bolts just match up at just as well with Toronto as vice versa. They're deep. They don't have a single hole in their lineup. Um, and they're getting a Norris Trophy winner back today. I, it wow. Is, it is going to be a tall order, at least in 2018, uh, for, for the Leafs to just remain in this race for the division uh, through 82 games. Boy, when you put it like that, Travis, yeah. Uh, good stuff, buddy. <laughs> Thanks as always, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take care, Andy. All right, there he is, Travis Yost. You have to check out Travis Yost's article. If you listen to this show, you probably do. Check him out on tsn.ca and an absolute must-follow on Twitter at Travis Yost, at Travis Yost on tsn.ca. Let's step aside, and when we return, it's McKean's hockey analyst, Gus Katsaros. He'll join me coming up next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Or Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics. Here on TSN 1050 Toronto, you can get us on iTunes, subscribe and rate us there iHeartRadio app, tsn1050.ca show page, and of course on Twitter at TSN Analytics and at AndyMC81. Let's get back to the phone lines, and we'll go to McKean's hockey analyst, one of our favorites, Gus Katsaros on the line. Gus, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. Let's begin with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I want to look through the, the fi- compare last season's 15 first games to this year's first 15 games. Last season, the Maple Leafs have given up 55 goals at this point. This season, just 40. Now, we all know about the overhaul up front with the addition of John Tavares, among others, but on defense, not much really changed over the offseason. It was an area of big concern outside of a couple of bottom pair slots. To you, what's been the biggest difference in their defensive play this season compared to last? Well, I mean, once you stack the deck up front the way that they kind of have... Um, teams have to be really wary about their offensive firepower. So if they're focusing a little bit more about playing with the puck and trying to be more offensive, and before Austin Matthews went down, you could see how much they were just able to dominate as far as shot differentials and, and, and even attempting scoring chances and all that. Um, so the the difference being if they had more control of the game and had to rely more less on their defensive elements, then obviously that's a good sign. Um you know they've given up less penalties, so uh, are taking less penalties, so they're spending less time at five on four. They've given up less goals at five on four. As a result, um, their penalty killing has changed a little bit. It's a little bit more passive than I think that it was last season. Last season they seem to be a little bit more aggressive. I don't know how that bodes. This is something that we have to see across uh, the rest of the season. But they've come out and become so. Uh, dominant with the puck that they don't necessarily need to rely on that defensive game as much. A good start for Anderson, a decent start for their blue line, um, and the Leafs have been okay for the first 15 games. Well, and it, let's talk about Freddie Anderson for a minute. That The drop in goals, and you mentioned the uh, fewer penalty, uh, penalties, but Freddie Anderson's traditionally been a slow starter, and it doesn't appear that way this year. How much of that do you think is a factor? I, I, I'm not really sure. You know, I think for 
for some reason there was a, a like when you go back to see what how the Leafs are playing in the first half of uh, like let's say the first quarter, the first up to twenty games, um, it was a real run and gun kind of real high paced, lots of high high shot totals both for and against. So that high event hockey would easily kind of make a goaltender look like he's being um, taking a barrage of shots and and perhaps performing less than stellar. Uh, so to me, I think there was a little bit more of a team element to his hot or to his less than stellar start last season. And this year, again, kind of going back to the fact that they're able to control the pace and, and really put the pressure on other teams to defend their offensive firepower, it's given a little bit of breathing room to Freddie Anderson. And, and you know, he's proven to be one of the better goaltenders in the league. So it's good that he's able to provide at least the average or better goaltending that would support a good high-powered, uh, high-powered offense. Um, it, it provides good balance. So I think that his slow start last season was more so the, the style of play rather than his poor efforts. In conversation with Gus Katsaros of McKean's Hockey on Twitter, at Cats with a K, Hockey. Okay, let's stick with the Maple Leafs here. And, and speaking of upgrades through 15 games into the season, at this point last year, Mitch Marner had one goal, seven assists, minus eight. This time around in 15 contests, five goals, 14 assists, plus three. Obviously now playing alongside John Tavares will boost almost anyone's numbers. But what do you feel is different about Marner this season compared to last well, yeah, of course, the um, the fact that he's playing with Tavares is is a little bit more of the revelation that happened in the latter half of last season. Uh, the slow start and kind of moving to a bottom pairing and, and being used less other than in specific offensive situations like on the power play last year um, really put on a damper to his uh, to the first half of his season. But once he moved on to a line with Marlowe and Kadri, he you, you saw the, what Marner is capable of. Um, now it just kind of made sense to be able to pair him with a talent like Tavares over the offseason just because of the, uh, the upgrade, and it creates another element of firepower for the Leafs, so it was just an easy uh, mark to put both of them together. So obviously his totals this year are, are not dominated by the fact that um, he's on a pair with, with Tavares because he, in his own mind, in his own uh, way, can create scoring chances and goals. We all know how electrifying he is. Um, but it's nice to be able to play with such a player that can actually boost or amplify his point total. So uh, the difference is not just because he's with Tavares, but because of the fact that he's able to play in the situations that allow him to use his skills to create scoring chances and put up points on the board. Well, a hot topic about Mitch Marner around TSN 1050 this week has been his value on the next contract. So Austin Matthews gone to injury, and you said it, uh, more of a spotlight, more opportunities for Mitch Marner to shine as an individual. But the debate around here came down to one number, $10 million. Is Mitch Marner, in your opinion, worth 10 or more million bucks in his next contract? And if not, what do you see the number being? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the... Um when you kind of look at the list of players making $10 million now, DeAndre Kopitar's, the Jack Eichels, the Tyler Sagans, the Ovechkins, these are either established stars or, or players that have such a skill set um, that they, they can easily bank on that potential going down the way. So Eichel is essentially what you're kind of looking at, and I would put Eichel in the group close to Matthews and McDavid. So is Marner really in that group? Maybe not quite yet. Um, but I mean... I don't really know what figure that we're going to end up placing here. He, he could easily be in that eight to nine million, and we would think, okay, it's not ten, but it's some figure that we're necessarily comfortable with. Um, I, I think that ten million is probably the high end, but it really wouldn't surprise me if that's what he ends up getting mm. over the longer term, especially if they do start eating up some of the UFA years as well. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if he hits the ten, but I think that he's somewhere more in the eight to nine million range. 
Now, what about Morgan Riley, not contract-wise, but when it comes to being included as a true number one defenseman? We know he's the best on the Leafs, but you know he doesn't seem to be considered widely in the same category as the likes of the Drew Doughty, Eric Carlson, Victor Hedman. Do you feel that Leafs management value him as a true number one? So he's a def- distinctive first pairing defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make the case that he is a number one when you look at other pairings in the league as well. Because I mean, number one talent is is, is pretty rare. Not every oh, yeah. single team has a number one defenseman on it. So it, it's it's a subjective value in the first place. However, what I would focus on is less about whether he's a number one or whether the Leafs are really comfortable with him and really take a look at the direction that defenses are being built currently and moving into the future. And I use this example all the time. A team can ice a fully matured and developed Travis Dermott in six slots or a player of his ilk in all six slots and still be contenders for a Stanley Cup. So if the Leafs have a player like Morgan Riley and they're able to put him into their first pairing or whatever that first pairing becomes and have the equivalent of five Travis Dermots filling in the rest of that blue line, they could have a very competitive contending blue line whenever they're at, um, uh, whether they're just making the playoffs or whether they're actually contending for the Stanley Cup. So to me, I think that they're more than comfortable of having him in that first pairing, whether he's a number one or not. And they're just building their defense according to what the NHL is doing right now. Slick, mobile good outlet passers that can actually join and support the rush. They can cycle and be part of that offensive uh, forecheck and not just pinching off the point. So player skills and defensemen overall are changing to the degree that um, the evaluation and the assessment of who's a number one is no longer relevant. It's more about can they ice six valued second pairing type defensemen and really be competitive in the future. Gus, great stuff as always, buddy. Thank you so much. Pleasure as always, my guys. Thanks very much. All right. Guess Katsaros from McKean's Hockey, one of their terrific analysts, and you can get him on Twitter, Cats with a K, at Cats Hockey. To Winnipeg we go after the break. My good buddy, Jamie Thomas, Jets TV host, J-E-T-S, the Winnipeg Jets. We'll get into them and some Western Conference talk next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Rolling along, TSN Hockey Analytics and TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Get the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81, Instagram too at AndyMC Sports. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, iHeartRadio at the TSN1050.ca show page as well. So lots of ways to find us. Very happy to welcome in my old buddy, Jamie Thomas from Jets TV, their terrific host. Jamie, how's it going, buddy? Uh, fantastic, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'll have to get you on TSN Four Downs one day too, because I know you're. I miss our NFL chats. Uh, it's uh, I've been on so long, buddy. It's it's crazy. Ever since I got out here, I think I talked, uh, did a couple of radio shows uh, in Regina about football, but I haven't talked about it since. And I feel like I'm, I'm a man on an island, and I'm like yeah. all alone. <laughs> alone with, I'm alone with my thoughts, Andy. And that's dangerous. <laughs> that's yes, yes, it is, especially with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, Jamie, because we're uh, based out of Toronto, of course, here, I want to take our, our first question in the, the, the goggles of a Maple Leafs fan. So, yeah. it, on TSN 1050, typically we debate the two best Canadian teams, and I don't think it's much of an argument, the Jets and the Leafs, in, yeah. in various different orders. Now, you get to be around the Jets, watch the Jets on a daily basis. Can you weigh in on this? Do you have the Jets above the Leafs right now as Canada's top team, or is that star power of Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and John Tavares too much? Well... I, I think you can look at it many ways, right? It, there's, there's without Austin Matthews, the, clearly the Leafs are a different team. And yes, the Leafs beat the Jets twice in the head-to-head matchups earlier this year. But if you go back to that second game in in Toronto on the Saturday before the Jets took off for Helsinki, that was arguably the Jets' best game for 55 minutes. And clearly the the Leafs came back and won that game when the Jets were leading two nothing going in the third period. But Paul Murray said for those 55 minutes, that's the way the Jets are supposed to play. That was the Jets of 2017, 18, uh, throughout the regular season and into the playoffs. So I think outside of a hiccup there, that was the Jets playing at their best. And then you got a good example of them at their best last night against the Colorado Avalanche. Now, the Avalanche are a much different team. They are a one-line team as opposed to the Maple Leafs. So I think if you look at the Jets from goaltending, defense, and and, uh, and forward, forward group, I think the Jets are a better team because I think they have more depth on defense. That's where the I think the minimal edge for me head to head with the Toronto Maple Leafs is Canada's best team right now. Now you were over in Finland with the team, right? Yeah. How was, was that? Yeah, and it was. It, you know what, man? It was. It's crazy to think that you can go over there at a country in Europe and feel like you're kind of in Canada. And I'm only saying this really? because Finnish people speak English so well. Like that's <laughs> the part that I I had very few moments where I would ask a question. And they didn't understand what I was saying. So I maybe had two or three instances in the seven days I was there. Now, sometimes their English was broken, but for the most time, it was very good. And they're very friendly. They're a very proud country. Uh, it got dark at 3.30, which was kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, unsettling sometimes. But in downtown Helsinki, they have a bunch of lights. Uh, I thought it was because of Christmas was coming and stuff like that. But apparently they, they have them up there because it's so dark so early. Uh, it brightens up the downtown. But, man, Hartwell Arena is really cool. Um, they love hockey. Like it's not just their Finnish players. They just uh, apparently it was such a big deal that the NHL was coming there. I think it was the first time in six years, um, and the tickets sold out in five minutes, I believe. And and seeing Timo Solani and Teppo oh. and walking around and how much people love those guys. And I got to do a sit down with uh, Solani for nine minutes, and it was right before Line A broke out. Right, he, it was right before his hat trick, and he was <laughs> he had a great analogy. He's like. Uh, Line is like a ketchup bottle. You know, you hit the back end of it over and over again. Nothing comes out. Then all of a sudden, it all comes out. But <laughs> he was talking about Patrick Line, and then, of course, Line scores three goals uh, in that first game, and then scores a beautiful goal in the second one. And now he's got, I believe, goals in three straight games. So, um, you know what, man? I love that we're having these conversations about the Leafs and the Jets because it, it's it's great that Canada's teams are starting to get back in the conversation as some of the best in the league. Because I'm as as desperate for a Canadian team to win a Stanley Cup uh, as probably the next person in, in this country. Now, I'm sure a Canadian fan wouldn't say that about the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I, I just think the Jets are in that place, Andy, where nobody really hates them right now because there's just not anybody's rival in this country. But, right. uh, you know, we, we were ta- could you imagine a Leafs-Jets-Stanley Cup final? Oh. I, don't think anyone could, I don't think anyone could imagine the magnitude of that, right? So it's Gary uh, Bettman for, couldn't. No, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't love it. <laughs> But I think they took the chance and they put that game on NBC on the on the Wednesday the, the, when the when the Leafs were here. Uh, I shouldn't say they took a chance. They were smart enough to finally put an all Canadian matchup on uh, national television in the United States, and they should have done it a long time ago. But it's 
It's two very young teams. They're fun to watch, and that's why the debate is so fun to have. In conversation with Jamie Thomas, uh, host on Jets TV on Twitter, at Jamie Thomas TV. Now, we talk about Winnipeg here, Jamie, and, and the Central Division. It is a yeah. log jam. Like, they're 9-5-1, and one, middle of November here. Uh, but that, that Central Division is as competitive as anything in the National Hockey League. How do, what, like, what's the vibe in Winnipeg about where this team is at and where they should be going? You know what? The best way to put this, buddy, is... Paul Marie said, if we're not winning 10 nothing, there's problems. That's how hmm. people here okay. are looking. You know, because they won so many games by such, especially on home ice. They they blew out a lot of teams last year. Um, the Jets lost four or five guys over the age of 30, right? you got Toby Enstrom, Matt Hendricks, Steve Mason. You know, you, you lose any type of that. Uh, Paul Stastny, of course. Uh, you lose that type of veteran presence, and you have to insert the younger entry-level deal type players. Uh, you're going to have some struggles early on. And, I mean, I'm sure a lot of teams would love to start the year 9-5-1 and, and say, hey, we're, we're not at our best right now, but that's where the Jets are. They have a, they have a very young team. Um, you know, their fourth line is getting a lot of minutes because the top three lines are having to do the work with special teams. They're trailing games more than they have been, than they were last year. So you're seeing more just Paul Maurice going down to three lines. So uh, I think they're happy where they are because they haven't been at their best. And they played at their best in that game in Toronto, a game they lost, and then again where they kind of blew the avalanche out last night in the third period. So they're they're getting there. Uh, Blake Wheeler is amongst the best in the league in terms of assists. And, uh, you know, I saw that the NHL's players and those uh, caravans that they had at the beginning part of the year, 61 players were pulled. And uh, Blake Wheeler, I believe, was third in the most underrated player in the National Hockey Hmm. League. And, and, you know, it's shocking for a guy that had 91 points last year to be still be considered underrated. But the market they're in, and uh, I think the Jets are heading in the right direction as they start to get the normalcy. They haven't played a lot lately because of the trip to Finland, but that's going to change here real soon. Now, you mentioned uh, Paul Maurice going to three lines. Patrick Laine yeah. has been on that third line. And, hey, yeah. like you said, in any case, since November started, he has five goals. So I guess that's, that's working. But it seems weird that he's on the third line. Why does Paul Maurice go in that route? Well, if you look at the two guys he plays with, Adam Lowry and Brandon Tanev, those are guys that are very physical. They're going to go in the corners and get the puck out, and, and that's, you know, that's good. And it kind of helps Patrick Laine's defensive game as well. Uh, as a young player at 20 years old, you're still figuring out your routes and, 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 the, and the like and your responsibilities in your own end. And that's maybe the one knock on Patrick Laine is his, his play in his own end. And with those two players, it's improved. Uh, Paul Maurice has said openly, this is not going to be a permanent thing right now. But if you've got two guys that can go get you the puck that are very physical, uh, five on five, that's a huge thing. And I, and I'm starting to see the chemistry starting to flow with those three players. Um, there, it's, you know, clearly Patrick Laine's bread and butter is the power play. Uh, he leads the NHL in that category. And, you know, of course, playing with <laughs> a power play unit of Blake Wheeler, Mike Shifley, Kyle Connor and Dustin Bufflin, I think, is going to be okay on any <laughs> So uh, that's where that's where he's getting all his goals. But you, if you watch on a nightly basis with this line, I know it's like it was huge news. He was in the fourth line to start the game against Toronto, like in Finland. I was talk, talking to Antti Mackinen, who does play-by-play uh, for fin- Finnish television. He does NHL games over there, and he said that was huge news. That was like devastating to, to oh. Finnish hockey fans that Patrick Laine is on the fourth line and they're they're misusing their star and so on and so forth. But there's, it wasn't long before he got onto the Lowry and Tanev line. It's not going to last forever, but there's always a reasoning behind everything for a coach for what they're doing. It's not a punishment. It's just trying to get a guy 
going, and, it, and, it's, and it's looking like if you watch Patrick Laine uh, with Lowry and Tanev on that third line, there's really starting to get a lot of zone ozone time uh, with, with, over these last three games or so, and I think that's what they really were, were concerned about. Last one for you here, Jamie. When we look at the Jets from last season, Western Conference Finals appearance this year, as they're built now, there's time for trade deadline, of course, but as they're built now, looking ahead to the playoffs, where are some weaknesses? Where does this team need to get better? Well, look what they did last year. Uh, They brought in another center, right? And Mm -hmm. and this is absolutely no no knock to Brian Little. This is no knock to Adam Lowry. Um, I think they just maybe think they could add another veteran center, playmaking center, to get the puck to the Lineys and the Ehlers, right? The, the Stastny and Line and Ehlers was such a good line after they, they bought, bought uh, Stastny in from St. Louis at the trade deadline. That's really the only place I can see it. And now some teams might point to the defense, but I think the Jets are okay. They have a lot of depth. Uh, of course, uh, Dmitry Kulikov got hurt last night. Not sure about the status of him. Might find out more today. But Joe Morrow's filled, filled in very well. They have Tucker Pullman down in uh, Manitoba. They also have the electric Sammy Niku. So I think they're okay in that department. So the only place I can think of is getting another playmaking center that can consistently get the puck to the line in Ehlers. Because uh, as good as Ehlers has been on the top line, I think it's just a matter of time before Kyle Connor goes back with Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley as we get closer and closer to April. Oh, great stuff, buddy. Always enjoy our chats. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, you get me on for football, buddy. I'm yes. It's killing me. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Talk to you later. There's Jimmy Thomas, Jets TV host and big NFL fan, too, on Twitter at Jamie Thomas TV. We'll step aside and wrap up the show next with some fantasy hockey tips and talk. Stardom, sit him, sleeper, stock up, stock down. Our buddy James Harding from NHL.com joins me next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Already wrapping up TSN Hockey Analytics, fastest hour in radio. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. On Twitter, the show, at TSN Analytics. Follow us there. Myself, at AndyMC81. If you missed any of the show, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, the TSN1050.ca, under the show section. Scroll down, you'll see TSN Hockey Analytics, and we'll tweet out the links, of course, uh, at TSN Analytics there. But it's one of my favorite times of the week. It is NHL Fantasy Hockey Talk Time, and it's brought to you by Three Brewers Micro Brewery Restaurants. Folks, if you're looking for your office holiday party, family celebration, whatever, Three Brewers is the perfect spot. They have locations across the GTA. TVs, great food, great beer, great times. Check out Three Brewers. Just to go out with the with friends, whatever. Three Brewers, great for any occasion. Let's welcome in James Harding, NHL.com fantasy writer. James, how's it going, man? You know, Andy, it's uh, starting to get pretty cold down here in New York, so today is a perfect day to sit inside and watch uh, afternoon college football and hockey, so that's what I'm going to do. You're you're talking my language, brother. Absolutely. All right, hey, we know what the people want. Let's get to... Stock up. Stock down. Yeah, there you go. With the car crash, let's move up to the stock up here, James, and give me your two stock ups for this week on your fantasy hockey team. Yeah, my first uh, stock up for the week, uh, if you're interested in trying to get him, he's going to be playing in about the next 15 or 20 minutes for the Philadelphia Flyers, and that's Oscar Lindblom. Uh, he comes into today with a five-game point streak, totaling five uh, five assists, two goals, eight shots on goal in that span. 
uh, skating on the second line there with Nolan Patrick, who's starting to get hot as well, uh, who has six points in his past five games, and Jacob Borchek, who has a four-game point streak. So that line right now producing in bunches for the Philadelphia Flyers. Lindblom is on the point of the second power play unit with Ivan Provorov there skating with Jordan Wheel, Borchek, and Wayne Simmons. So I really like what Lindblom is doing right now. He's settling in, being given an expanded role as a young player in a top six on a team that many people believe can still turn it around and be a playoff contender. So I'm excited to see him with a young guy like Patrick and a savvy playmaking veteran like Voracek going forward. So I like Oscar Lindblom there. And then my second stock up of the week uh, from the New York Rangers, defenseman Neil Pionk. Uh, He scored a power play goal in their 3-2 overtime loss against the Red Wings on Friday. Uh, He's now scored a goal in three straight games. He has nine points and 26 shots on goal in 14 games this season, averaging just under 23 minutes a game. And he has 23 points and 11 power play points in 42 career games so far. So the production is there from a guy like Pionk. Enough of a sample size right now, about half a season's worth total in his career, where you're beginning to see a little bit of a pattern develop with him. He's much more of an offensive player than anybody that the Rangers have on their blue line right now, and he's getting an expanded role on a young team that's really not expected to do much. That's the kind of guy that you want to target as a great depth fourth or fifth defenseman in any league format. And while his value is still uh, moderate in DFS categories. Love it. That's what we have you on, buddy. So those are the stock ups, two stock downs. Who am I avoiding? Yeah, first guy I'm avoiding heading out to San Jose, and that's Evander Kane. Hmm. Uh, He started strong with 10 points in his first 10 games, but is now pointless in six of his past seven uh, he does have 30 shots on goal in that seven-game span. He's just not getting the production, only one goal in, in those games. He is third in the league in shots on goal right now with 69, and he's skating with Joe Pavelski and Eunice Donskoy on the first line out there in San Jose. But until you see him start to pick up the production there, San Jose has been a streaky team so far this year. They started a little slow. They played better, and the production just hasn't been there right now when you consider how owned Kane is in season-long leagues and where his value is in DFS, for me to sit there right now until he puts together a few good games, for me to tell you you have to go and keep this guy in your lineup or put him in your lineup. And then my second stock down for the week down in Carolina, uh, defenseman Dougie Hamilton. He's pointless in four straight, only three points in his past 11 games. Uh, Much like Kane, he's actually one of the top uh, shooters in the league right now. He leads uh, NHL defensemen in shots on goal with 66, which is sixth in the league. But he only has five points in six games so far, putting him on pace for 25 over the course of the entire season after averaging about 45 points in each of his past four years. So uh, the the production and the offense just not there yet for Hamilton as he's trying to get acclimated down in Carolina this season. That was Stock Up, Stock Down, brought to you by three brewers in conversation with James Harding from NHL.com, their terrific fantasy hockey writer on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. Now, James, you know we love our sleepers. I don't care if it's football or hockey. I love the sleeper picks, and so do our listeners. So if you're playing your DFS or DraftKings lineup, who are you slotting in? Who's a value sleeper for this weekend's game in DraftKings? 
Yeah, my sleeper for this weekend, uh, heading out to the Pittsburgh-Arizona matchup tonight, and that's goaltender Casey DeSmith. Uh, he's going to be starting on Saturday night against the Coyotes. It's going to be his second consecutive start after stopping 20 of 22 shots uh, in their 2-1 loss against the Washington Capitals on Wednesday. Uh, he's 2-1-2 and with a 2.22 goals against average. A lot of twos right there, I know. Uh, but... <laughs> But when you see a lot of twos in, in goals against average, that, that's normally a good thing. Uh, and a 9.29 save percentage in eight games so far this season, five starts. Uh, with Matt Murray struggling the way that he has at the beginning of the season so far, DeSmith has seen a, an increased workload, and he has taken it on and uh, is definitely showing that it might not be a true timeshare, but I think going forward, even when... Murray starts to pick things up, which we all expect him to do. DeSmith will see a fair share of starts going forward. So I, I really like him where his value is this weekend uh, against the Coyotes within that matchup. So you can pop him up there. And finally, uh, James, now you mentioned one goalie there. There are have been some injuries, some absences. Can you give me a goalie replacement, whether it's for a DraftKings daily lineup or for your league that you like? Yeah, I, I like Jack Campbell out in Los Angeles if he's available in your league right now. He has really taken on that role with Jonathan Quick out as the workhorse goaltender. Uh, he's 5-6-0, and oh, uh, very respectable, 2.46 goals against, and 918 save percentage in 12 games right now. Quick is still expected to be out for probably about another two to five weeks, so Campbell will see a, a large workload there. But if Campbell is taken... I like Chad Johnson over in St. Louis right now. Jake Allen has struggled mightily to start the season, and Chad Johnson coming off a 33-save shutout the other night uh, definitely could see some more starts going forward, push that more towards a timeshare. So I like Campbell, and I like Chad Johnson. All right, buddy. There we go. Great stuff as always. Thanks, James. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Next week, James Harding, NHL.com fantasy writer. And if you ever have any NHL fantasy hockey questions, you can always hit him up on Twitter at jharding underscore hockey. There you go, folks. That'll do it for another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics. So for producer Sean Lavery and Chris DeVero, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050.